Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today, I'm in conversation with Kishore Kumar, who is a very popular YouTuber with a unique channel called Hargana, talking about the astronomical basis of the Hindu Panchanga. Kishore was not always a YouTuber. He started his career as a software professional and for over 35 years, played a variety of roles from programmer, program manager, general manager and vice president in various leading companies. In this part of the conversation, he talks about starting his career as a system engineer and later moved on to programming on mainframes. Moving to the USA and feeling the need for higher studies when he took up computer science and learned AI way back in the late 80s. He also talks about how his career mirrors the way the Indian software industry has grown and the contours that it has taken. And he also shares his views on handling ambiguous requirements in both the more traditional ways of software development as well as the new models of software development. He talks about his personal transition while also transitioning professionally. Listen on. Hi, Kishore. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Good afternoon, Sivaguru. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to be on the Software People Stories. I should thank you. Because most of the guests that we've had, even though I've known many of them for a while, there's always something new that I learn in these conversations. So I just let my curiosity run. So even though I have known you for a while, for the interest of our listeners and also to refresh my memory, if we can start with your origin story, what you did and then how you got into IT and what you do now, what are your interests and so on, and then we can take it from there. Hmm. Okay. So I am a Kannadiga by birth, but I grew up in uh, Tamil Nadu in Tirunal Valley. I did all my schooling there and subsequently I went to do my engineering in uh, what was REC, Tiruchirappalli. Now it's NIT Tree. Hmm. And that was way back, 35 years back. I completed in 1984. And I studied electronics and communication because uh, you should remember in those days there was no computers on any curriculum anywhere. Mm, studied yeah. electronic and communication, but uh, along the way, it was a five-year course. I started getting interested in something called microprocessors, which was just coming up in those days. Mm-hmm. A gentleman called Mathur who wrote a book on microprocessors. We called him Mupi Mathur. Mm, yeah. So I read his book. It was all Greek and Latin for about a year. Then it started falling in place. A lot of self-study went into assembly language and Intel 80, 85, 86, etc. Side by side with electronics and communication. So finally, when the pre-final year campus interview happened, um, in those days, there were hardly any software companies. There was TCS. TCS was there always. CMC was another big one, but that's it. Not, nobody else was there. But in Wipro and uh, HCL and one more company called ORG System were beginning to make hardware, mini computer boxes. So they came to recruit and uh, ORG System recruited me. That's where I started my career. But they recruited me as a systems engineer. That's on the software side. Okay. 
because I had shown during my course interest on microprose and assembly language. Although I never did any programming, I just put it up on paper, but that's all we could do in those days. That was good enough to get us started off. Mm. So I joined them in Bangalore and I was working on uh, customer support for uh, the mini computers manufactured by ORG Systems, which means whenever it crashes, we go and reinstall the operating system. Sometimes the data gets wiped out, we see if we can recover it. Sometimes the data is there, but only the file headers got wiped out. You rebuild the file header and the data comes back miraculously. And customer is so happy, so relieved that <laughs> doesn't have to do all the data entry all over again, all that payroll data. Mm. So that was the kind of experience with a little bit of programming in BASIC, in COBOL, benchmarking. Then I switched over into Tata Burroughs, where I started real programming on mainframe. That was in Mumbai. And subsequently, I was sent abroad because in the 1980s, uh, the whole industry was pretty much onshore. It was just beginning to start offshore. Majority of the work was still onshore. So I was shipped to the United States. I went there. I did programming on uh, Alcohol again on mainframes. So the Swift network, Swift 2, was being built in those days. I think it's still operational. Mm, yeah. Unless it has been upgraded to Swift 3 already. So I did some programming, but somewhere along the way, I started feeling there was a hole in my academics because I'm working on computers, but I don't have a formal qualification in computers. My qualifications in electronics and communication. So I went back to college, this time in the United States. I did a master's degree in computer science at uh, SUNY at Buffalo. Okay. Extremely cold place, freezing cold place. Mm. So I did a two years master's and interestingly in those days, uh, SUNY Buffalo was very famous for a topic called artificial intelligence. Oh. I'm talking 89, 2000, uh, sorry, yeah, 89, 90, 91 that time. Mm -hmm. And there were two areas, uh, knowledge representation and uh, deduction systems. I became interested in deduction systems. I learned first order logic, second order logic, mathematical logic, theorem mm -hmm. proving, etc. Very theoretical. I, went. I enjoyed myself. Mm. I did what I felt interesting at that point in time. Mm -hmm. At the end of that course, I packed my bags and came back to India. Okay. And this time I came back to Bangalore and uh, I rejoined Tata Burroughs, Gopalan, and you were nice enough to take me back into, it was now Tata Unisys, and we you, we were all in Bangalore. So I, I restarted my career in India. At that. Subsequently, I have changed many jobs. I have been in many different companies because uh, my philosophy, I realized, was that my loyalty is more to my profession than to any specific. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting to gain more knowledge, develop oneself, do things I have not done before. That kind of thing continued almost almost till the end. Always opportunities to learn new things and keep on developing. Professional development in terms of promotions, etc., that's a different ballgame that happens, does not happen, that takes its own so many different companies I've worked with from that time onwards and kind of my career reflects the flow of the Indian society. 80s was all onshore. Okay. 90s, we were doing projects in India, including in uh, Tata Unisys, where we had to bid for the projects and get them. Mm. So there was a lot of convincing going on in the 90s. Writing proposals, convincing the American customers predominantly. Give it to us, we will do it from India. Mm -hmm. More of a sales job, but not a traditional sales job. It was consultative selling that. Here's my proposal and quiz me on this and I will give you answers. If you're convinced, give it to me. Okay. So a lot of such uh, sales proposals, I enjoyed writing them. Actually, that was one of my most interesting part of my career through, during the 90s. And then, of course, Y2K happened and after that, the floodgates. 
Hmm. It was complete trust from the Americans. Lots of work started flowing in, and it's just a matter of scale, scale, and more scale. So it has been an interesting journey all along, and many different companies I worked for, apart from Tata Bros, uh, some of the brands I worked with was uh, Cognizant mm-hmm. for about six, seven years, and then I worked with uh, Siemens in their captive center. Mm-hmm. So that was a different type of learning, and that too was fairly late in my moving from a services industry to a product development industry. It was not just a, I call a captive center, but they were also contributing to the product software side of the CT scanners, MRI scanners, mm-hmm. developing the imaging software. So that's a different ballgame. The way it works, the dynamics of, it's the same software development lifecycle, but it's significantly different the approaches. So these were hardware products that also had software. Very much, very much. Mm. But you were also working on uh, software products. Software products only at one point in time in uh, my career. There was a small company where, uh, again, an American company, they had created a relational database engine. Relational database, oh, sorry, not relational, object relational database. Tech. Okay. Database. Mm. And they went looking for applications and they found application in uh, all things in preferred parts management, basically in uh, manufacturing optimizing manufacturing for production so that you don't mm. bring in new parts all the time. You maintaining preferred parts lister. Mm. So that product was, it started selling like pot cakes. Yeah, I was involved in the development of that for a few years here in Bangalore. That was the first time I attempted product development and then with Siemens much later. Mm. Because I remember those days, yeah. Uh, so one uh, curiosity question is that as part of your studies, when you said artificial intelligence, you were looking more at you know, deductive reasoning or using logic. Did that training or learning help you in understanding the needs in defining products or in writing proposals as you said? Not specifically artificial intelligence per se, but the two years I spent in uh, Sunni Buffalo was uh, hugely influential mm-hmm. on my thought process in general. Hmm. I was for the first time introduced the idea of formalism. Mm-hmm. And even when you are using a natural language, you should try and minimize the ambiguity which is always present in natural language. Mm-hmm. Make it as precise as you can. Mm-hmm. Specifically in writing, because you need to write technical papers, but also in speaking that the clarity and of course deduction systems require absolute clarity. Mm. In fact, my master's thesis was uh, came up with the not a theorem, but uh, with the proposition inequality reasoning and then I spent about six months trying to prove that hmm. using deduction. Deductions fundamentally are exponents, if then else statements. But okay. you look yeah. at research other people have done, bring it in and build your proof of that provision so that now we can hmm. it was not earth shaking or anything, but the process of being rigorous, I think that helped me a lot later on. Because when I was writing proposals, it was all about uh, you get an RFP at 20,000 feet level. And then I never used boilerplates. That was anathema to me. I mm-hmm. construct from scratch. And typically three sections, you I rephrase the requirements as understood from the RFP. Then a technical architecture and then a project management. Finally, of course, costing. Okay. Technical architecture, particularly, I used to tailor them to the requirements of that. Meaning that whatever knowledge I have of the domain, plus my understanding of software engineering comes together, that design patterns, etc present a technical architecture at the 20,000 feet level because we don't have all the details. We have not started project, but it should still be convincing enough mm-hmm. to the customer. So that training definitely came from that master's program. Be extremely mm-hmm. clear in your thought process and in your article, whether you are speaking or writing. Okay. 
the other thing i found interesting was when you mentioned that your career kind of mirrors the way the indian software industry has grown and has changed shapes when it comes to let's say the approaches for software development even though you mentioned that uh, the sdlc is pretty much the same even when you're working on products the earlier ways of doing say software development such as the classic the chief programmer teams or uh, what now we call as the you know the waterfall approach and so on versus accepting that software development is a team sport and that it has to be involved people how does that change or make it uh, either simpler or complex of being specific in terms of requirements now you spoke about uh, the need for no ambiguity so what has been your experience in working with teams or working with ambiguous requirements when particularly when it comes to products when you may not have an exact specification given by somebody else yeah so the, the methodologies themselves i was quite agnostic on throughout in fact in my belief uh, waterfall was fine it was successful for me i could make it work hmm. but then uh, we had evolved to situations where customer was uncomfortable waiting for 12 months without seeing anything so i said i'll do it in three iterations so each iteration i will show you a demo hmm. and you can give me your feedback i mean programs going over let's say one year mm-hmm. and and that that worked perfectly fine again hmm. but then there were some cases where a customer said i need something i mean in fact it was uh, during y2k time frame uh, when the whole world was working on y2k i was in a company where we got a small project saying we need to develop a reverse auction system using web browser oh internet technology i'm talking 1999 literally i think august 99 we started the program mm. by december we went live with mm-hmm. so that was not waterfall iterative it was phone calls with the customer to understand what they want develop it show it to them and keep doing it until we came to a stage where we said now we can go live with it. and that was immensely successful i mean it had its own problems but the idea clicked at that time and of course every supply chain management software has reverse auctions built into it today mm. in 1999 that was a new idea and and we could do that though it was ambiguous but i think in that i still we went through about a two to three weeks of detailed brainstorming of what it should be mm-hmm. so we know what we are going to build and then we built it at double quick speed mm. it didn't i was never faced with a situation like for example uh, maybe ebay or yahoo where they literally built one menu item at a time and released it mm. i think that's where this whole concept of agile started coming saying we don't know what we are doing mm-hmm. the spaces where i have operated in we always knew what we are doing when i hear agile like all the methodists mm-hmm. saying that uh, business changes all the time and mm. we can never know what to build so build in very 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 small iteration mm-hmm. but if i am working in for example automobile insurance it doesn't change all the time mm. the united states they will still ask you how old are you are you married do you drink how far do you drive every day what color car it's the same thing it was 40 years back maybe ford model t they ask the same question it's still the same thing today mm-hmm. i don't think businesses really not all businesses change that much mm. there is a separate e-commerce thread which came up in in the year 2000 which was very dramatic changes but many other businesses we know what we are building it's more a comfort factor of can the customer trust us and wait us i mean wait for one year for us to deliver or do we have to keep showing him the output mm. on the team side yeah team play i mean i realized it was no longer individual and team as soon as i came back from the us to india started up very first project i was 
need a project manager and I got a team and instantly it became clear. I mean, I have to get it done with the team. Now it's a matter of your capabilities of the team and what they lack. You have to train them rather than expect them to know and process, of course. I'm a great believer in process. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be systematic if you are managing it. Mm. Be it agile, be it waterfall. That process has to be systematically applied of the SDMC. Mm. Of clear design, clear programming. And in fact, a lot of work I did, cost of quality was probably high because we did a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we had designed and developed smarter, the quantity of testing could have been less. Mm. but a lot of testing. So that process cannot be avoided. That is something which helped me all through in my career. With that approach, how do you get your team members to also appreciate and internalize this? Yeah, that's that's more of personality and style. So in the sense that whenever I'm working with the teams uh, in the early stages, of course, I was very strict with the developer saying, this is exactly how you develop. This is how you write code. Don't go this way, that way. Do exactly. Mm-hmm. You're talking about best practices of programming. Mm. You don't coding standards. So don't get creative on them. Mm-hmm. But with the more senior guys, it is a different approach of trying to raise the bar. Mm. Meaning, okay, this is what you have done, but is this all you can do? Or can you do better than this? And quite a lot of people responded very positively to that mm. because they realized that hey, this guy is trying to make me do better than I am doing. And they started thinking and coming back with newer outputs which are superior to what they propose, be it architecture document or requirements, as the case may be. Some others may not respond well to that, saying, oh, no, this guy is a hard task. No matter of we need, all of us need to get better. Hmm. And I think process, everybody in India gets it. Nobody, I mean, probably we get it too much. <laughs> it's ingrained in us, in the entire industry. I don't know how the startups are doing nowadays. They should be operating differently, I think. But the established companies, process is the backbone. People just accept hmm. You also mentioned that uh, your primary allegiance has been to the profession and that you were able to successfully move from one environment to another in terms of companies and so on. In those transitions, what has been your own personal transition or challenge uh, from maybe three aspects? Now, one is when do you notice or when do you realize that probably there is more exciting things to be done outside? and say that I need to move on. And while doing that, uh, to ensure that whatever you have built so far is also handed over to somebody else to continue. The second aspect is when uh, you get into a new situation, how do you identify the specific skills that you need or the approaches that you may have to tweak in fitting into the new context and then starting to contribute? And then of course, when do you figure out again that it is time for you know, looking at other options. Yeah, transition to multiple companies, uh, I can't say it was always successful, but it was always interesting. Mm-hmm. So the, primarily you need to <clears throat> like the people you work with. Mm-hmm. Even when you join a new company, you, I didn't go into an empty space. I mean, there were already people there. There was a structure and I was fitting into that structure at some point. Mm-hmm. I am comfortable with the people I am reporting to and with the peer group which I am in, in, and that makes life wonderfully. Okay. In fact, that worked most of it because as an industry, we have a certain amount of openness and acceptance and we have common background. We mm. come from different parts of India, different cultures and all that, but the software culture is pretty much standard and it is very good. Mm-hmm. 
there are very few bad elements about the software. Maybe this cannot be said about marketing or function, but the software culture all over India, I for experience, was good. So you can move from one company to another, meet the people, shake hands, you're on, establish that mental contact and relationship and get more. Hmm. Second thing is, of course, you understand the role which you have taken up and what is the company's priority. Mm-hmm. And work towards those priority. That's where I said maybe I was not always successful. So, for example, there was a company I joined where uh, I loved the role I was in because I was tasked to go after new technology solutions. Okay. Like if the browser is the new thing, then I'm building a reverse auction from there. Or if enterprise application of EAI, ESBs is the new thing or, or workflow engines is the mm-hmm. new flavor of the day. I was getting opportunities to going to those places and it's all greenfield development hmm. but the company was going in a different direction because we have passed the y2k and business was flowing in mm-hmm. so i was asking prospective customers what solution do you want to build hmm. whereas the rest of the company was asking the customer how many people do you need what skills mm-hmm. so clearly there is a dissonance and that business was fantastic growing leaps and bounds and this has happened in all the companies okay whereas this Chasing new greenfield development, cutting edge, today we would call these transformational projects, was not the priority at that time. From okay. 2000 to 2010-15, it maybe is becoming a priority again today, but again, I have my own doubts, I think. Mm. The, the situation is still the same. But then I I was enjoying what I was doing. Okay. Those okay. greenfield projects I was executing were wonderful. They had their own challenges, but it, was, it kept me alive. Mm. New architectures, new technologies. And new domains also going to, but no, eventually, finally, I pretty much settled on uh, insurance as the domain. That's where I spent maximum time, both uh, uh, property and casualty as well as health insurance. Okay. And subsequently, I ended my career with uh, Siemens Health in Years, and that was not insurance, but actually medical devices mm-hmm. to the hospital. Mm. So domains were changing, roles were changing, my own roles were evolving, and the technologies were cutting edge technologies. I got opportunity bleeding edge sometimes. Mm-hmm. I got opportunity to work with that was interesting and it kept me. Okay. But the overall industry, I do feel somewhere we are missing something in the sense that uh, you know, how many people do you need? I think that is still driving the themes today because uh, about four or five years back, artificial intelligence became the big thing. It was mm-hmm. coming into the mainstream. And I was watching out for the commentary which was coming from the industry, mm-hmm. big companies, leading service organizations. The commentary was that... Uh, we will have a shortage of people skilled in AI. Hmm. Now, have you ever heard Americans say that? Never hear that. So while we were talking about shortage of people skilled in AI, the Americans were developing chat GPT. Hmm. And that has come out and hit us now. Hmm. So you don't need armies to really create cutting edge new technology. You need a few good people. But our industry has a success formula and, and you cannot argue with success. So it's fine, it's good. But I wish sometimes that a different path could also be accommodated. Hmm. So to uh, kind of rephrase the question, in your uh, career transitions, what was uh, a greater dominant factor? Is it a pull factor or a push factor? Pull or a push factor? I think it was mostly a push factor, mm-hmm. what I would say. Hmm. For some point, I will get a little bit bored and I say I don't I don't feel alive in this environment. Let me move somewhere else mm-hmm. and make a shift mm. and see what is it. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, probably come back to that. I had a couple of questions, but before that, you used the term about uh, ending your career. Mm-hmm. 
what does that mean and then what keeps you busy nowadays i'm a senior citizen now so my formal career is over so on the informal side now i am a youtuber wow so i have a youtube channel which i started about a year and a half back called ahargana mm-hmm. where i am publishing videos about the astronomy behind the hindu panchanga okay and that also i am enjoying in fact i am finding this much more satisfactory than anything i have done in the industry mm-hmm. and i am very happy with what i've done in it it's not that i'm not mm. but some of this one feels uh, feels very good it feels different and it truly feels satisfying so where did this interest come from or what was the trigger to explore astronomy i asked him about the trigger for his interest in astronomy and also starting the youtube channel the answer to that and more in the next part of this conversation We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.